Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris. Today our passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. Let's read our passage. We'll give a little background to some of our terminology drop some application, and we'll close. Let's go. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he may know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, You shall have authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You know that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is an intense passage. Uh, You can say minas. I think that's, I guess, just the way that I've most often heard it pronounced. Um, it, it, it's it's a double consonant at the beginning in the Greek, m n a s minas, uh, but that just doesn't sound like normal English. So it it's fine to just say minas, even though it sounds silly if you know what it's actually how it's actually spelt. Uh, but it, the context of this parable is really important. So if you go back to verse eleven, he says, after you heard these things, it it was um, after Jesus has come to Zacchaeus's house. And he makes this big proclamation of today salvation has come. Uh, you know, if Jesus has a, a good following at this point. If he starts talking about salvation, which uh, is normally a political term, salvation has come. There's now all of a sudden uh, this built-up expectation of, especially in the book of Luke, because up until this point, 
Luke keeps talking about how Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And, and, and that's what the Jews are waiting for. Hey, Jesus is going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to finally take back our holy city. Salvation. He's going to bring us salvation. That is political freedom, political and, and national freedom. And, and so when they heard these things, as they heard these things, he tells a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And so he, he realizes that they're expecting the ki- kingdom to come right then as Jesus enters Jerusalem. And N.T. Wright and I think more specifically Luke Johnson, two New Testament scholars, say it's probably not best to read this that Jesus told them uh, to like talk about how the kingdom's not coming, but it is to kind of confirm those things. It's just not the kind of kingdom that they're expecting, right? And we're used to that in Scripture. The disciples are confused as to what Jesus is actually bringing in. His enemies are confused as to who he actually is. The crowds are confused as to what he's actually here for. No one understands Christ. No one understands what he's trying to do. So he goes on to tell this parable. And in this parable, uh, Jesus is the, the nobleman. He goes into the far country, which is earth, uh, to receive a kingdom for himself. And then return. I'm sorry, I got that confused into the far country, which is, in this situation, heaven, to, to, to go into heaven, receive his kingdom, and then return back to, back to earth here to rule. Calling ten of his servants, he gives them ten minas, or manas. Uh, this is t- totally different, which you probably caught, totally different than the parable of the talents from Matthew 25. Uh, even the currency... So uh, manas is worth about 100 days' wages, or about 100 drachmas is, is the current uh, currency in, in, in Jesus' parable here. And mina is really a, a Semitic loan word. It's, it's not even a type of currency that Jesus would normally be con, con, you know, talking about, discussing, or even using day to day. It would have been in drachmas and, and, and things like that. Uh, a talent is like 60 times more, uh, 60 times greater value than Amina. So it's interesting. Uh, a scholar, uh, Klein Snodgrass, talks about how in, in Matthew's parable, the servants win the lottery. Like they win so much money, uh, or they're given so much money by the master. Here in Luke, they're kind of like given enough to like buy a car with. You know, it's, it's a little bit more modest. And that actually has pretty strong implications for some of our points we're going to make later on. Verse 14, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. That's what us humans did. Jesus has comes to earth and the vast majority of us speak out against Jesus and don't want him to rule over us. And so when he returns, he got his kingdom anyway, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And they come back and say, hey, we've made some, we've doubled it, that sort of thing. And um, what, what's interesting here is uh, kind of the language being used about a nobleman going out to receive a kingdom, uh, being opposed. It actually has a really uh, strong correlation to... Uh, another historical event of Archelaus after uh, Augustus has died. Uh, Archelaus goes to Herod the Great asking 
for Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great is the one who's dead. Goes to uh, Caesar Augustus to say, "Hey, put me as as king here in this region now." And what's interesting is is on his way, he's opposed by a great Jewish force of like eight thousand men who like don't want Archelaus to rule, and he ends up killing like three thousand of them. And there's a lot of the language here that Luke uses that parallels this. We get this story in the books of Josephus, and a lot of the language is the same. So it, it may be the case that Jesus is pulling from a recent episode in history that uh, the people listening are able to uh, to draw from. Like all of his parables, they relate to some sort of something that his hearers um, can understand and, and relate to. Uh, this is also one of the many parables on debt and obligation. You know, you kind of wonder why Jesus has this. I mean, there, there's like a dozen parables where this seems to be the theme of, of owing money, of having obligation to someone else, master, servant. This is a very uh, big reoccurring theme. Uh, also in direct context, this is one of three stories that are surrounding, either preceding or coming after Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And so there's there's this one, there's the story after it, and then you get the entrance into Jerusalem. And it's they're all centered around Jesus coming into to his city, to his place of, of rulership and authority and being king. And and so this really fits our our situation here. Uh, what's interesting also is the 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 servants who did well, who were able to double their their gift or their earnings, um, they're not just rewarded; they are actually given authority over cities. And this is what Jesus says of us in Revelations chapter two, verses twenty six through twenty seven, is that we are to reign with Him. That might be an unusual thought to some, but that seems to be. Uh, one of the things that we can hope for, hope in, look forward to is a co-reign with Christ. That is something he allows us to do with him, uh, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's a similar role to how God uh, is in relationship to the Old Testament prophets, how they converse with him and talk with him and make decisions with him, that God allows that sort of thing to happen. So what you come to in this parable in Luke and it's going to be the same thing you come to in the parable of the talents in, in Matthew. Is So what's the point of this parable? Specifically here in Luke, you do have this theme of eschatology, of Christ's return. Is this a study on the return? Are we really supposed to read this and say, okay, well, with what God has given us, we need to make sure that we are you know, changing our culture and, and bringing in interest so when God returns, when Christ returns to receive us, we'll, we'll be able to bring him a bountiful harvest. That really does seem to be the point of Matthew's parable in the talents. Luke seems to be a little different. There's a, there's a slight different focus. There is that eschatological, hey, Christ is returning, it's coming, it's in the near future, get ready. But Luke also seems to have this idea of just simple stewardship, of just being faithful with what you're given because sometimes you're not given a lot you know if, again comparing the currencies of matthew 25 and here in luke you don't have decades and decades worth of wealth given to you in your lap it's it's really like you know a third of a year's worth wages 
And, and so some, maybe you make the parallel to your own life. Maybe you don't feel like you're given the biggest talents, the greatest gifts to use in the church. But with whatever God has given you, even if it looks like nothing in your eyes, your job is to be faithful with it, it is to steward it, to, to grow it, to use it, to protect it. That, that's, that's the lesson here with these, these servants. So I hope you are considering your talents, your gifts, what God has given you, and how you're going to steward them and be a faithful servant to him in whatever he's given you. Uh, I pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.